17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old is gone, and behold, all things have become new, new creatures in Christ Jesus. So today we want to continue our look at our study of the prodigal son, Luke chapter 15, starting with verse 11. We are looking at the three elements of sonship, the robe last week, the ring today, and then the shoes next week. We're not doing this in an attempt to read something into the scripture that Jesus didn't uh, intend. We're not embellishing on what Jesus said in order to make some kind of personal point. The stuff we're learning is, is very real. He gave each of these pieces knowing exactly what he's doing, and we do well to understand them, to embrace them, and to implement them into our lives. So as we saw last week, the father gave his son the first and best robe. It's a number one son robe. It means to win first place in a race. Yesterday, Creed Schatz took first place in his first race in his age group. Awesome job. Yeah. Yeah. Fourth, fourth place overall. He couldn't believe he was outrunning older kids than him. Way to go, kid. And then he's up here on Sunday mornings helping these kids with their worship. First place robe. And the good news is God has a first place robe for you and for you and for, for you and for you and for you. He's got a first place robe for each of us. You don't have to stand in line in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God looks nothing like the DMV. Anybody okay with that? Huh? Yeah, the, the kingdom of God looks nothing like Safeway in the summertime. <laughs> nothing like that, right? You're always first in line, number one in line in the kingdom of God. That means we no longer have to vie for a position or compete for a position. There's no clamoring over each other to get where we need to, to, to get. Uh, think about the average mom. You ask the average mom, which is your favorite kid and and they're apt to say all of them right yeah all of them are I'm blown away by my mom you know I often will apologize for the horrors we called her and she she's just losing her mind she her responses they were all such good kids yeah right yeah yeah we are having mom appreciation days right now we're keeping a, a one-year-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old and it's been quite a journey so we're really worn out after I'm done here today I'm going to go home and take a nap okay yeah uh, mom thank you moms for your service and it's not service we're not babysitting either because this is our great niece great nephew their mom stayed with us many times during her teen years and uh, for long periods of time during those turbulent years and we have a big investment in this family but I went out in the garage for just a moment and when I came back in the bathroom floor was totally flooded yeah uh, I mean evidently the parent in charge was out of commission at the moment when the two and a half year old decided to go and turn the faucet on on the tub which has a sprayer and it was like one of those water whirls where the shower head was flying all over the bathroom soaking everything down yeah mom appreciation days yeah thank you moms for for what you do ask any mom she'll tell you think about the average sports team 
Team makes it all the way to national playoffs. Come down to the final game. To the final play, one player makes the big play to win the game. And everybody on that team gets to say, we're number one. And I'm number one. And, you, and you're number one. That's just, the way, that's just the way it works. Well, friends, Jesus has won the biggest event in all of history. He's defeated the world, the flesh, and the devil. And all who align with him get a number one son robe. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way it works, yeah, in the kingdom of God. You, you better believe it. So we all get to declare, I'm number one, and you're number one. We are number one together. And it's a holy humility that I just love to point to in the Trinity, where the father says of, my, of his son, this is my son, listen to him. And the son says of the father, I came from my father's glory. And then the Holy Spirit says, I came to glorify the Son. So the Trinity, all pointing to each other in the kingdom, right? Saying, you to man, no you to man, no you to man. You're number one, you're number one, and you're number one too. No vying, no clamoring. We all get to support each other. So the freedom of forgiveness, which is really the premise of all of this, is about us embracing what God has said about us and the reality that he gives all who will come a number one son robe. Is anybody glad about that this morning? Yeah, not a bunch of hype. That was a weak applause. Is anybody glad about that this morning? Oh, man. I, I hope so. I hope so. The robe represents God's full acceptance and full restoration to all of us wayward prodigals who have an awakening to where we've gone astray and turn around and come back home. The robe is the robe of righteousness. The robe, friends, is Jesus. And the robe is long enough to cover over all our sins and failings. Stop peeking under the robe to look at your progress. It's God you covered right yeah and the robe is an exchange it's an exchange a garment of 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 despair a garment of heaviness for a spirit of praise now i just need to go on record here to say that i never met a robe i didn't like <laughs> on me I am not a robe fan. I'm kind of like Ralphie in A Christmas Story. Remember the, the pink pajamas, bunny pajamas with the big fluffy ears sent by some aunt, right? I don't want to try it on. And that's me with robes. I just, I don't want to wear a robe. Heard a story about a third world cab driver. He died, went to heaven. St. Peter met him at the pearly gates, looked him up in the book, big book, and sure enough, he said, you know, right over there is a gold staff and a, and a silk robe. Help yourself. Welcome to heaven. Right behind him comes a preacher. Peter looks him up in the, in the big, big book and kind of looks at him and says, well, I guess we'll let you in, but you can take a, a wooden staff and a cloth robe. Peter's like, What? That cavy over there gets a gold staff and a silk robe, and, and I get a, a cloth robe and a wooden staff. What's up with that? St. Peter didn't miss a beat, and, and he looked at, at the, the preacher, and he said, up here, we're all about fruit. And honestly, when you preached, people slept. When that cavy drove, people prayed. <laughs> yeah, so God gave me 
a robe of acceptance and restoration. It's the one robe I will wear gladly. I'm wearing that robe today. It's a number one son robe. The question is, are you wearing your robe today? Are you understanding where you are positionally in that robe? And it's a robe we must, must wear. I thank God for one of you who came up to me last week after the service and directed me to the parable in, in Matthew 22, where a king is throwing a great banquet for his son uh, before his wedding. And they invite, and all the invited guests begin to respond with excuses why they can't come. So another servant is sent out to, in, to get the guests there. And again, this time they, they abused him greatly. And the king is, is angry. And he says, my banquet must be full. And so he says, go out in the streets and compel them to come in. Get the scum of the earth here. And so indeed, they fill the banquet hall. And when the king walks in, place is full. But there's one person who's not wearing the proper attire. It's an offense to the king. You can't come in your old, dirty clothes. You've got to wear the robe that is for the banquet. You've got to wear the robe of righteousness. You've got to be properly covered. You don't come into God's banquet with your old, dirty rags on and say, I'm good enough to get in here. You've got to wear the robe of righteousness. You've got to wear Jesus Christ. And that's really what that's all about. Amen? Yeah. All right. So today we want to move on to the ring. Luke chapter 15, verse 22. But the father said to the servants, quick, bring the best robe, first robe, best robe, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The way that the word ring is, is used here is, is very unique. Uh, you won't find it used this way anywhere else in, in the New Testament. You'll find the word used once in the book of James, but there it's a compound word that means gold ring. So the ring in James is talking about a ring that a wealthy person might wear or a ring that, that you would wear to make an impression. But, but here, the creso, the gold part, is taken off, so you simply have a ring. And the way that Jesus is using the ring here suggests that it's what is known as a sealing ring or a signet ring. It's a ring that has the family seal on it. All right, think about a wax seal on an envelope or a document. You, you want to secure the document, so you close it, you melt a puddle of wax on it, and then you take your signet, your family seal, and you press it into the ring. And that says that as long as that wax seal isn't broken, that this message is being delivered exactly as the sender intended it to be delivered. Okay, so it's a very important symbol, a, a signet Ring. It's to be used as an instrument of contract, an instrument of authority. It's worn on the right hand to document family business matters. So here in Jesus' parable, the father is having this son, play, this ring placed on his son's right hand, indicating that despite all of the boy's wanderings and all of the boy's failings, not only is he being fully accepted back to sonship, 
but he's now receiving full power of attorney, an instrument of authority in the family enterprise. Now, this is absolutely amazing. Think about it. The business that this father is now restoring this son to and welcoming back into is, is the very same business that, the bo- that, that was divvied up among the boys at this son's demand to be used for his own wastefulness and, and frivolity. Give me my ring. I want what's mine, and I want it right now. And then he took what was given to him, walked away from the family, abandoning his father, turning his back to the father, and wasting all of it on his selfish ambitions. Now it's all gone. He's back home, and he's being fully restored. Are you kidding me? I mean, the father could have said, Son, we're, we're glad to have you home. Uh, we're, we're delighted you're back. We've missed you. We, we love you. But when it comes to matters of the family fortune, there's nothing left here for you. You had your chance. And there's nothing more I can give you. But that's not what happened. Instead, the father calls for the family seal, the instrument of authority, and has it placed on his son's finger. Likewise, when at last all of us wayward ones have our awakening and come home to the Father, not only are we fully accepted as sons, but we are given rings of authority that demonstrate power of attorney in family business matters. We've all walked away from God. We've all wasted what we've given. And as as amazing as it sounds, the Father looks at us and he says, I want you to come to work for me. I I want you back. I want you to function as an equal, authoritative partner with me. So here's the big idea for this morning. Not just are we accepted as sons when we come home to the Father, but we are given a position of full controlling partnership in the family business. Are you kidding me? But that's what this ring declares. Jesus was very intentional. He knew exactly what he was doing when he gave us this very important teaching, this powerful lesson of how God restores the worst of sinners and wants them operating on his behalf. And, and, and I'll think about who it is that Jesus is sharing this parable with. He's, he's, he's sharing it with religious hypocrites. And, and he's saying to them, these people that you have deemed unclean, and these people that you're refusing to associate and even acknowledge, they're coming back to the Father way ahead of you, and not only that, they're being put in high positions in the Father's business. Very, very important. Because this is the way you and I must begin to see ourselves. So then we ask the question, well, what exactly is the the family business? And to best understand it, we've got to go back to creation. We've got to go back to the garden when God placed man in, in the Garden of Eden. 
And, and as he looked at man, and, and he understand when he's looking at man here, he's looking at Adam and Eve collectively because at this time there wasn't the distinction male and female. That won't come till after the fall. But right now, this is Adam, male, Adam, female, just referred to as Adam. And God looked at them together, woman and man, right? And he said, this is very good, woman and man, let's just say. And I'll say it again, woman and man. Okay, And he looked at them and he said, I give you full dominion over all the creatures of the universe. In other words, I'm giving you the signet and you're to operate on my behalf in control of my creation. You can check it out. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. But this rulership had one condition. It had one limitation. And that limitation was that they must submit themselves to the one who is supreme authority. Who's the one who is supreme authority? God. Right? Who is the one who is supreme authority? God is, right? Yeah. So, um... Through their disobedience, and you can find this in Genesis chapter 3, 1 through 24, they forfeited what was given to them. They took a precious gift that God had entrusted them with, and they handed it away. They wasted it away. They gave that full power, that full authority to Satan, who is now the prince and power of the air, and who is ruling and reigning in the hearts of those who are disobedience disobedience so what do we do now we look at the world we look at the mess and we protest and we say how can you say God is all-powerful and all-loving and, and yet see the madness that goes on in the world because if God is all-powerful and all-loving there is no way that he's going to let the stuff go on that's going on today well God gave us a very precious gift and we threw it away we gave it away and instead instead of owning up to that reality we grumble we complain we even point our finger at God and say you that's the way it works and frankly God could step in and he could fix all the problems at, at any moment but the reality is there is a bigger problem and that bigger problem is man has a rebellious heart and that's what God is doing today. God is in the process of rebuilding, renewing rebellious hearts of all us waywards who will come home. He's changing lives one at a time. And, uh, and, and this is what we, we have to understand. He's changing us from his enemies into his friends and for God simply to come in step in and fix things would be like treating symptoms without getting to the root of the problem it would be like taking aspirin to try to cure stage four pancreatic cancer it just doesn't work that way so how is God restoring hearts well it's a threefold process first through the powerful declaration of his love through the death of his son Jesus Christ for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have eternal life for God sent his son did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him secondly he's doing it through a powerful demonstration of the reality that he is Lord over life. And this is about the resurrection of his son, 
Jesus Christ. But here's the deal. What God has done through these two pieces will only work where it's being accepted and where it's being received. Yeah, there's going to come a day when even rebellious hearts will be required to bow down and worship Jesus and acknowledge who he is. But that's not what God loves. What God loves is extending mercy, and he'd rather us come to him while he's giving grace freely and restoration freely than for us to come later on and receive the brunt of the penalty that we deserve, the very penalty that Jesus took upon himself. That is the real deal. But there's a third part to to all of this, to, to how God is changing hearts. God says, I gave each member. Now listen here. Very, this is where it comes home to us, and we've got to accept the reality of this, because this is the reality. I gave each member of my corporation the family seal. It's a ring of authority, and I expect each of my officers to do their work in exercising what they have been given. And to them he says, here is my signet ring. I place it on your right hand and I commission you to go in my name and to go on my behalf and to go in my authority. The ring worn on the right hand, indicating power and attorney. Jesus said of us these words. He said, they will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. It's an extension of a hand with a ring on it, a signet, an extension of of the right hand. It's your right, it's your, your privilege, it's your responsibility, and it isn't presumptive guesswork. God says, carry out the family business, not to earn your keep, but because you are my sons and this is what I have given to you. All right, but now there's a greater part than just temporal, physical healing. Are you with me? Awesome. Yes, there's a greater part than just temporal, physical healing. God has given us the privilege of affecting souls and lives for all eternity. The signet. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, you go with my signet, with my authority, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you to the very end of the age. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a two-gallon bucket, a peck measure. Instead, they put it on a stand where it can give light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light so shine before men that they might see your good deeds and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. 2 Corinthians 5 says, If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And all this is done by God who has transformed us literally from his enemies because of our rebellion. Got to hear that. It's real. From, uh, from his enemies into his friends and given us the task of making others his friends also. 
So in Luke 19, Jesus told another parable. It's about a, a, a guy, a, a ruler, who is going off to another kingdom to be appointed king. And before he went, he entrusted his wealth to, uh, to his uh, associates. What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, to his stewards. Okay? And, and he hands them all of his wealth. And as he hands it to them in verse 13, he says, Occupy until I return. Occupy until I return. The word occupy there doesn't mean to simply take up space. What it's about is occupation. Totally different, right? Totally different than taking up space. Occupation is to function on my behalf until I get back. Operate the family business while I'm away. Take control of what is mine with your signet. And when I come back, I expect to see a return on what I've given to you. Well, Jesus has been gone a long, long time. First, he descended into Hades, and he wasn't liked well there. But he made a declaration there that said, all authority is mine, and I'm giving it to my people. You're nothing anymore. So he, he, he left us for this little bit. He left the church to carry out the family business. And when he comes back, he expects to see a return on what he's given to us. So now we need to hit home, and we need to get honest. Are you carrying out your part of the family business? When he comes back and calls you to give an account, what will you have to show? Are you multiplying what he's given to you, or are you simply griping about the condition of the world and wishing for nothing more than he just come back and wipe it all out so that you could escape the madness? It's an important question we've got to ask. Yeah. Important one. It's coming up a lot around here, right? It's not about earning your keep in the kingdom. It's about family business, right? So, a few weeks ago, we're having a discussion in our servant leadership training. And this is something that I believe about everybody here should be a part of. A great group of people. We're talking about this very thing. And in the midst of the discussion, one of the women became very vulnerable, a woman I respect greatly, because she's in a discussion group where she is the only believer, and the discussions are increasingly becoming worldly to the point of disregard for God altogether. So she wanted to quit. She didn't feel like she had what she needed to be involved. So right away, one of the people who were there said, well, let us pray for you. But hold on a minute. We all need prayer in, in this area. I mean, we, if we're honest, we all feel adequate when it comes to this task that Christ has given us. Let's be honest. Can we be honest? We're all like Moses when God says, I'm sending you, and he says, I'm not eloquent in speech. I don't have what it takes. We're all like the disciples who, at Jesus' suffering and death, fled away, even though they promised to stay with him to the very end. We are all like the soldiers of Israel, and we're sitting on a hillside, licking each other's wounds, while the giant Goliath is taunting us and mocking our God. 
and we're seeing it happen in our world and we're sitting on the hillside and we don't know what to do. Truth is, most of us are silent about our faith. Truth is, most of us feel inadequate. Truth is, most of us don't feel smart enough. But we need to ask ourselves the question, what would Jesus do if you were in our shoes? What would Jesus do if he lived where we lived and walked where we walked and hung out with the people whom we hang out with? And this isn't a message to hammer us or beat us over the head. This is a valuable message that we are here on short-term assignment. And it's an important one. So what did Jesus do? Well, the Bible tells us, Jesus said this, John 3, 34, for the one whom the Father has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. And if you look at that, that sounds just like Moses. I don't have the words of Jesus. I don't have the words. But the Father says, I am with you. And that's what the Father is saying to us. As sons and daughters, we have the sealing ring. It's on our right hand. We are commissioned to speak on the Father's behalf when it comes to matters of kingdom business. It's about walking in the Spirit. It's allowing God to speak into our lives so that we can affect others through the overflow of the greater work that God is doing. But what is it that's going to give the power and the force behind our words? Is it really about having enough information, going to enough Bible studies, right? Knowing the Word of God enough, being smart enough. Is that really what it's all about? Is that really what it's all about? Like me in the office with pastors the other day, when one of the pastors says, don't you hate when people tell you they know the Bible better than you do? He said, they don't. And I'm sitting there going... Sorry, they probably do know it better than me. Because I wasn't raised in the church with all of this stuff. I don't know it all, but I can tell you the word of God came alive in me. And one of the things that amazed me, a few weeks back, we went to a wedding. And uh, this is a family that generally asked me to do their weddings. They didn't ask me to do this stupid wedding this time. <laughs> Instead, they had a stuttering preacher do the wedding i'm like are you kidding me you could add me and you got a stuttering preacher so god's teaching me a lesson here because now we go to this large reception and we need so many chairs some for us and some for our friends who met us there and there was this one table with a, a sweet young couple sitting at, with just enough chairs. And so we went up to them. We said, is anybody sitting here? And they said, no, you can sit here. And we said, well, there's just enough chairs for us and our friends. May we join you? Yes, yes, please. So we sat down. And this couple starts saying, didn't you just love the pastor? We love our pastor. They said, he, he preaches, we go to Christ Community Church. Now, I don't know if you know Christ Community Church in Greeley. It's an EV free church that God is using wonderfully. Alan Craft has written a number of books. They're a great church. And they said, he is the second preacher after Pastor Alan. There's a message here for all of us who are here today. And the message is God uses stuttering pastors. And God uses stuttering people. What was the weight behind Jesus' words? Well, John 6, 27 says this about Jesus. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. 
And about you and me, the Bible says, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. See, very interesting that the Holy Spirit becomes a type of seal. You bear the family seal. You have been given a seal to speak on the Father's behalf. You have been given power of attorney to represent the Father in matters of kingdom business in His name as the Father operates in you and through you. It's a ring you wear by faith. It's a ring you wear on on your right hand. But notice the progression there in Ephesians 1.13. First you believed... And then you were sealed. And when it comes to matters of the family seal, are you walking in the power and in the fullness of the Holy Spirit? This is the way we carry out the family business. It has nothing to do with degrees on the wall or how smart you are or how quick you are in in an argument. It has everything to do with what he's doing in your life and what he wants to do through your life. And friends, we need to speak there's no other way to carry out the family business put behind you smart enough put behind you eloquent enough put behind you having all the right answers at the right time because this is about allowing the holy spirit to use you in a mighty way but we've got to be honest like that woman two weeks ago we don't have what it takes and we're just sitting on a hillside like the Israeli army watching the enemy stand out in the field, taunting us and mocking our God, feeling powerless. But then a spirit-filled young man, a ruddy guy who all he was supposed to do was deliver lunch, steps in in the name of the Lord God and conquers the giant. We've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. How are we filled with the Holy Spirit? Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Holy Spirit. Are we thirsty? The Spirit is here to fill. How do you know you're thirsty? Well, just look at Jesus' words. Ask yourself the questions. The question, are streams of living water flowing from within me? Are streams of living water flowing from within me? What's the solution? Come to Jesus and drink, and he will fill you with his Holy Spirit. Friends, we must learn to function in the authority that Jesus has given us. He says, hey, I put a ring on your finger. It's there. It's there for you to use. You're my representative. You're my spokesman. What are you going to do with the ring? Let's pray. I just want you to pray these words. Father God, what is it you brought me here today to hear from this sermon? Father God, what is it you want me to hear from this sermon? Just pray those words. And whatever it is, are you willing to say yes to the Father in that regard? 
You may feel incapable, inadequate, but that's exactly where you need to be. You're exactly where the apostles were. You're exactly where Moses was. You're just like David, nothing but available. Say yes, Lord, if that's where you're at. I don't want the worship team to move yet, and I don't want uh, the prayer team to move yet, but I just want you to hear me, folks. We want to pray for you, and our prayer partners want to pray for you. They take your prayer requests very seriously. And in just a moment, I'm going to invite the worship team and our prayer partners to come. Our prayer partners will be stationed here and up there to pray with you. There are others who will pray for you. The people you're with would be glad to pray for you about anything. It might be about matters of Holy Spirit-filled life. It might be about what it means to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Please don't leave until you've been prayed for. But this morning, at each of those stations, as well as at the Connections table, I have this gift that I want to give you. It's a little booklet called Satisfied. And it's about walking in the power in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I want you to take it with you. And I want you to ask the Father as he leads you to do with you exactly according to everything he has planned and purposed for your life. So, it's been good to be with you today on this beautiful Mother's Day. So, why don't we have the worship team and our prayer partners come and let me just say, Father, thank you for your word. Your word is truth. We receive it with gladness. And Lord, yeah, we want to be partners in your business and we want to bear fruit for your glory. And then when we do, we'll look forward to pointing to you and say, nope, wasn't me. It's all because of you because you're number one and you're number one and you're number one. All glory to God forever. Hallelujah.